This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the executive producer and co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is co-founder and principal co-host Fred Goldstein, president at Accountable Health, LLC. At Pop Health Week, we engage industry leadership and stakeholder voices spanning payer, provider, patient, vendor, and regulatory communities in population health best practices and strategy. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter at Greg Masters MPH, and that is Greg with two G's. On today's episode, our guests are Thomas E. Dobbs, M.D., Dean of the John D. Bauer School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and Melissa R. Stevens, M.D., Associate Dean of Graduate Medical Education and Population Health and Professor of Clinical Sciences at the William Carey University College of Osteopathic Medicine. In addition to his role as Dean, Dr. Dobbs serves as the Executive Director of the Miley Evers Williams Institute for the Elimination of Health Disparities. He has a clinical position within the Division of Infectious Disease, working specifically in the fields of HIV and sexually transmitted infections with a focus on the intersection of disease and the social determinants of health. And with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Thank you so much, Greg, and Drs. Dobbs and Stevens. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to get you both on and actually talk a little about the uh, university a bit. But before we get into that, uh, Thomas, why don't you give us a little sense of your background and then we'll go to Melissa. Yes. So uh, my name is Thomas Dobbs. I'm an infectious disease physician by training, but also public health doc, master's in public health from UAB. I've been working in uh, practice, but also at the State Department of Health and other places for for many years. And I had a few years where I was uh, actually the state health officer, so I was over the Department of Health in Mississippi, which was very interesting, especially during the COVID pandemic, as you can imagine. And then for about six months, I've been here at the University of Mississippi Medical Center as the dean, the John D. Bauer School of Population Health. Well, fantastic. And you, Melissa? Yeah, so thank you. Um, so I'm Melissa Stevens. I'm a family physician by training. Um, I am originally from the Kansas City area, trained at University of Missouri in Kansas City, and then did my residency training at the University of Kansas. Um, and spent some time there in practice in Missouri, spent some time with the National Health Service Corps, um, and then actually moved out to the Pacific Northwest for a little while, spent some time practicing out there before relocating back to Mississippi a little bit over a decade ago, um, and, and practiced down on the Gulf Coast before moving to William Carey University now about eight years ago. And so I currently serve at William Carey in the College of Osteopathic Medicine as the Associate Dean over Graduate Medical Education and Population Health. Well, it's fantastic to get two physicians who are academic, practicing, population health folks, and public health. So great to have you both on. So perhaps, um, Thomas, you could talk a little about the the university and the program at uh, the University for Population Health. Yeah, so um, at UMC, University of Mississippi Medical Center, they have several different schools, and one of the the newest school is the Johnny Barrow School of Population Health, which which was really visionary. Uh, It's been here going on about six years it's one of the first population health schools in the country. And, and it really is extremely important for the state of Mississippi for so many reasons. Not only does it sort of augment 
the role of the medical center and thinking beyond clinical healthcare, right? Because we all know in, in this conversation that 80% of what drives health has nothing to do with what happens in a clinic or a hospital, right? So it's so important for, for us to have that sort of presence. Um, the uh, other thing is, is it, it's an opportunity for us to train a whole whole component of not only healthcare, but also folks who have interest in population health, that they can go on to have graduate degrees in, in population health science, which is going to have some similarities with the master's in public health, but, but some differences. And also in, in data science, uh, a lot of advanced like biostatistics, machine learning, things like that, that were really the sort of core of that for the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and also PhD programs so we can have folks that can go on to do research, high-level research, and also training the next generation. So it, it's really a fantastic school. I'm super excited to be a part of it, and I'm looking forward to what it can do to advance health in Mississippi. That's great. And Melissa, you actually went through the program. So maybe talk a little about your experience and why you chose to do that as a, a physician. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, I um, completed the program back in 2019 and 2020. Um, I was in the second cohort of students, um, and I was looking for an opportunity to um, just advance my learning and really looked at a number of different opportunities, looked at, you know, programs that were master's in public health, um, even, you know, MBAs, master's in healthcare administration, just a variety of different opportunities. And I think what really excited me about the program here was it really gave me an opportunity to learn broadly in so many different areas. Um, there certainly was a very strong emphasis in public health, um, but there was such a strong emphasis um, in learning about healthcare systems and data science and just so many things that so broadly brought together all of these really important concepts um, that are important to caring for populations of people and improving healthcare outcomes. And I felt as a physician in Mississippi, that was so important for me to um, continue my education in that so that I could continue to help improve outcomes of the patients that live here in our state. As an educator, training the next generation of physicians, I felt it was even more important for me to do that because I wanted to be able to take what I learned and pass it on to the next generation of physicians that I'm helping to train. Mm -hmm. That's, that's fantastic. And, and as I understand it, I think, uh, you know, having involved some, there's uh, the, the executive master's for those who are already in the field, right? And then you've also got a regular master's program, and those are in different areas for as well as the PhD programs. Yeah, no, that's exactly correct. And, and certainly people come to the program needing different things, right? So a lot of the folks who come to the executive master's program are already career professionals, but they're looking to take it to the next level, right? They may need to move up in the organization or have a skill set so that they can make a greater contribution, especially within sort of the healthcare environment. So much of what people learn is, is really sort of specific to like, like a task. So like if you're going to be like a um, you know, physical therapist or, or, or even if you're in administration to have that sort of broader view where you can see the whole system, right? In the course that you teach, um, you know, you get a better view of what the whole world is around population health. How, how do the pieces interact? And then also, in addition to that sort of awareness, develop a new skill set so that folks can actually be stronger leaders and help their systems, health systems, insurance, whatever, to succeed because they can have the entire complement of information you need to be successful in today's environment. Mm -hmm. And how does the program, you know, because of the university, how are you looking to try to build that to impact perhaps the state or the the uh, the operations, the university, that kind of integration? So at, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, we, we think of traditionally different schools have three pillars. One of them is going to be uh, clinical, clinical excellence, research, 
and educational. One of the things that we've been supported in from the leadership at UMC, which we're really excited about, is community impact. Because we feel like that's really where population health is. And we want to be in the community. We want to make a difference. So I'm going to give you an example. And I think it's kind of an interesting example. Mississippi right now is experiencing a phenomenal increase, really an astounding increase in the number of babies born with syphilis. Believe it or not, we've had a thousand percent increase in syphilis in the past six years. We've had several babies die from syphilis in the past couple of years. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but it's obviously it's a it's kind of a public health crisis. And we are are very happy that we're going to be sort of at the cutting edge of addressing this for the state. Because to solve this problem, it takes multiple players. We've identified that, uh, yes, of course, you need physicians, but there are, there are sort of system issues within the physician practice that keep folks from quickly accessing care, prenatal care, getting the testing they need, and then getting the treatment, right? So it's not just the clinical stuff. It's the fact that insurance only pays half the cost of the treatment that the doctors have to give. That's an impediment, right? So those are, those are system issues that go beyond the clinical decision-making. Um, but then you also have system issues in, in public health. You have patient education that people are aware that this is a problem. And then also too, awareness within the physician community. It takes something like a, like a school of population health um, to, to sort of bring all these things together because it's not a simple solution. It's a complex solution. But if you bring everything together, and if you have the, the experts, if you have the connections, and if you have the population health mindset, I, I think that we can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. So that's actually being worked on now through the, the uh, school and the university and trying to help the state with that issue. Yes, and we're working with the State Department of Health, and we're bringing our resources to help them and, and, and our connections, but also you know it's a teamwork sort of thing. And if you want to make a difference in population health, it's got to be done collaboratively. It's got to be done with stakeholders, but also people who have the tools available to be impactful. Mm -hmm. uh, that that makes a lot of sense, and it's it's great to hear that it's not just about you know doing the research, doing the education, doing the clinical care there at the university, but looking at that community because obviously Mississippi, you know, sadly has had so many issues around the health of the folks living there forever. And you know, I remember working back in the day in that state doing chronic care management, and um, it's it's a it's an opportunity to really make a huge difference. So it's fantastic that school sits right in the center of the state at the university itself. And when you think about that, Melissa, how have you taken sort of what you've learned and, and maybe applied it or looked at it through the lens of where you're working at the university or in your practice? Well, I think that I've taken a lot of the concepts and, and tried to apply them broadly. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated about the program was the opportunity to learn alongside so many other amazing professionals. You know, looking at health systems and talking about population health, there's so much of an emphasis on working together as a team and, and utilizing everybody on the team to improve patient outcomes. And within the coursework that we did, there were so many different professionals that we were learning alongside of and we were learning collaboratively together to where we really got a deeper appreciation for what everybody did on the team. So we were learning from each other while we were learning in the courses as well. And I think that has really helped me too, um, that I've taken a lot of that back with me too. And I think I've worked more effectively on teams um, just through my experience there. And I've been able to even 
like I said, since I'm an educator as well and teaching medical students and working even with nursing students and pharmacy students and other students as well, I've taken a lot of that back too and really changed my game and how I'm teaching them to collaborate and work together to improve health systems and um, to, to work together to, you know, make things better for patients as they're, as they're collaborating. So I think that's one of the things that I've done a lot differently. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. We're speaking with Thomas E. Dobbs, MD, Dean of the John D. Bauer School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and Melissa R. Stevens, MD, Associate Dean of Graduate Medical Education and Population Health and Professor of Clinical Sciences at the William Carey University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Yeah, that's great to hear. And obviously, you don't do population health, as you mentioned, it really is a team effort. It's got to be full blown. You're looking at broad issues. So uh, when you think about that, Dr. Dobbs, you you mentioned the the, uh, issue with COVID and stuff. And we know public health has struggled a bit. What are some of your thoughts around public health in the country and how we can maybe integrate population health in that? Or has public health always sort of been looking at that, et cetera? I, I think you've hit on something that's that's so very important. I think it's going to be critical for the health of the country going forward. Public health is at an inflection point. We're still struggling to use the old model of public health while we're funding the new model of healthcare, and they don't really mesh. Um, we have decided that we don't want to fund public health to do sort of like preventive health stuff, right? That should be done in the context of of, the normal clinical care cycle. And and what's the role of public health? Public health also has challenged because those same things that make it hard to attract the workforce, right? You know, for hospitals that that are very well-funded, those are the same positions that the Department of Health often needs. I know that the Department of Health here in the state of Mississippi is almost, has almost a 50% vacancy rate, right? So how, I know, how, how do you meet that mission? So the reason that I'm sort of saying that is when we talk about the partnership, there are roles that multiple players have to play, right? There's going to be the healthcare system has to step up to the plate and own population health for their populations, right? It's their responsibility. It's got to be part of the concept. Um, We've got to have the Department of Health do the things that only they can do. Um, they're the ones who who have the legal authority to do the work, right? They have the infrastructure to do some of the core things, but there are other things that that population health scientists can do to support that, um, universities specifically around, you know, high quality data analytics, right? High quality, um, you know, uh, machine learning, all these sorts of tools that we can bring to the table to sort of augment those other partners. Um, Looking into the future, public health is really going to need to be more of a collaborative endeavor that's funded not only through the traditional public health sort of avenue, CDC, HRSA, you know, HHS, whatever, um, we'll have to bring in healthcare so that it's sort of integrated, but also using, I think, the academics and also nonprofits like public health institutes to sort of bridge some of the gaps. So I, I think it's going to look a lot different. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a growing period, but it, I think it's exciting if you're in population health to think about what the opportunities are going to be. Yeah, I know Greg has talked about some unique models to try to integrate public health with uh, with the healthcare system itself, including potential oversight models, which may be going a little bit far. But what, where do you see that? Are the healthcare systems, the big hospitals, et cetera, beginning to say we can we can interact, we can make something better by working with that local public health department much closer, especially given all we saw with COVID? You know, I think they really did. 
during during COVID. If we and specifically in my experience, our health systems really stepped up to the plate when it came to accommodating the needs of a, a really a population that's in crisis or need access to care. You know, we had ICU ambulance crisis that was really phenomenal, and they all work together, which is kind of unique for hospitals to work together sometimes. Um, also around vaccination, testing, and also distribution of monoclonals, monoclonal antibody treatment. These are things that really are hard to imagine a sort of a denuded public health system is going to be able to meet these needs. You got to have it. And so we did have sort of like a population health focus where people said, if you live in my community, I'm responsible for you, right? And that's the kind of thought process we need to extend from COVID to everything. If you're in my community, you need to have a healthy environment so that you don't have heart disease, that you can you can walk, that you have access to, to healthy food, those sorts of things. If we can sort of adopt this almost like adopt your community mindset, where it's more than just what ICD-10 codes can I get off of you when you come through the door. It's like, what am I going to do to make this community healthy? That's talking about community benefit. I mean, that's really where the community benefit is. So when you think about that, um, and Ian, Melissa, you're welcome to jump in this one too. Is this a is this something that potentially we'll see uh, move move to in a more robust manner, implementing population health and public health, if we move to more of a value-based care model in terms of payments? So you are not chasing the ICD-10 codes? You know, and, and it will to some degree, you know, CMS and Joint Commission are adding social determinant health metrics to their requirements, right? And I, and I think it's a first step. It's a pretty anemic first step. I mean, it's really just more, you have to collect the data and sort of be aware of it for certain subsets of your population. I'm glad they're sort of dipping their toe in the pool, as it were. But I mean, we know in, in a market economy, you got to own risk to get results, right? And it may take that big jump into, you know, to, to true to true accepting risk. And places, I know of some places that have really done it, have, have, have found it to be profitable, but it doesn't need to be a tepid. It's got to be, you know, if you own it, you really own it. This community, you're responsible for it. Now, the rules are complicated. I get it. And people love gamesmanship. But to do it right, we got to have people be responsible for the folks that are in their community. So, so Melissa, as you as you hear this, and you're obviously teaching physicians, et cetera, is this something that's beginning to integrate into the academics, into the training programs? Yes, absolutely. I think um, it it really is. I mean, we're starting to teach this all the way in the first year now um, to really help medical students understand that this is critical um, to providing good care to patients. I mean, you need to understand the basic science. You need to understand, you know, all of all of the clinical medicine. But you ha- need to understand that this is part of providing the care as well and, and putting um, the care to the outcomes. And so this is something we're integrating into all of it. And I think they're now being taught it together um, in a pretty seamless fashion. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, getting back to Mississippi, obviously, there are, I, I know the, the, the um, program focuses on all kinds of things. It's got a HIV clinic. You've got the uh, clinic focused, thinking more about social determinants and those issues out there. Where do you think the technology fits into this? I mean, is that some way to help public health when you don't have the staff or the healthcare systems? Or at this point, is it really just a golden thing sitting on a shelf that looks kind of cool? Technological solutions are going to be so important going forward, right? If, if we look at where our our country and our world is, as far as like the way our society operates, it has been profoundly transformed 
by the adoption of technology. You know, the things you can do on your cell phone, telecommunication, broadband, all that sort of stuff. What has not moved as dramatically is how these have affected healthcare, right? I mean, obviously there've been great improvements in, you know, our ability, availability to get information, our pharmaceutical choices have improved, our, you know, our laboratory has improved, but the consumer-based technology has not really taken off. So I think it's hugely important. In Mississippi, it's very important to look at telehealth. Uh, the UMC is one of uh, only two uh, national centers of excellence around telehealth. And I'm actively involved in a, in a project to bring HIV testing and preventive treatment through an entirely telehealth platform that folks can do on demand. And you can imagine in a state like Mississippi that's under-resourced in, in providers and physicians, you can't have an outpost in every small town, but you know, everybody's got a cell phone. And so healthcare has to adapt to technology. It is kind of tricky because insurance companies and CMS have been slow to see that as something that should be reimbursed, right? That's that's one of the things that's holding back our our healthcare technology revolution is the uh, is the reimbursement mechanisms, um, but it's coming. I think it's coming. That's fantastic. And you also mentioned AI, machine learning, fascinating area. People are a lot of people jumping into that thing and saying, you know, hey, we've got a solution for this, we got a solution for that, all this stuff. But we've seen a couple sort of um, slide off the poor scale, either because of bias and data or things like that. Where do you think it might have the most impact in population health? An obvious thing is going to be looking at big data, right? Really being able, the data sets that are out there that can let us know what's going on are huge and enormous to give us sort of a better real-time image of, of what's, what's, kind of, what's kind of going on. And certainly, in, in, even if we think about, you know, sort of COVID, um, we didn't really implement, I think, you know, the maximum of our our data informatics sort of capabilities, but part of it was the infrastructure, right? If we think about how data flows up and a lot of it's built because we had health departments that were still using fax machines, right? To get reports. So if you're stuck in a fax machine universe, the, the you know, the data revolution is going to pass you by. So that, that that is a problem. So, but I think big data is going to be very important um, as far as like, you know, from a clinical perspective, I think we're going to be better about uh, sifting through some of the, uh, clinical decisions that we need to be making, but also we need to try to figure out how to use it to not make bad decisions, right? So, I mean, bad science happens every day. And um, if we can if we can figure out how to use that to better sort of weed out some of the weaker forms of evidence that are out there, we'll be in a good shape because obviously misinformation probably killed as many people as COVID did um, and together probably resulted in most deaths. Um, if we could have, you know, other solutions to that, that would be great too. Fantastic. And, and Melissa, you went through the program. Mm -hmm. Yes. Who should, who should consider this? Who's it for? Well, I, I think, you know, anyone um, in healthcare that, that wants to improve their skills and take care of patients better. I mean, I think that um, it's, it's certainly not just for physicians. I'm a physician, but in, in, you know, my cohort, you know, we had, pharmacists and nurses and um, oh, even engineers, I believe. I mean, it was really anybody that works in healthcare that has a passion for taking care of patients better and communities better. And, um, and so I really think it can be for anyone. Um, and so I think that was part of what I loved about it. It was such a diverse group of individuals coming together really with the same interest and same mission. And that was to improve their knowledge so that they could take care of people better and serve their community better. And so 
Um, I really think it's it's a good fit for anybody who wants to do that. Fantastic. Any thoughts on that, Dr. Dobbs? It's it's a broad audience, right? If if you're interested in population health, if you're interested in public health, this is a great place for you. But there's other folks too that can also find a place. Like if you're interested in in uh, community impact, if you're worried about what's happening in your community and you want to learn how to make a difference, if you're in a nonprofit organization and you want to understand the systems that are driving the outcomes that you're seeing, it makes a lot of sense. We also have a branch around the data science that that is actually pretty advanced sort of conceptually with machine learning and artificial intelligence and that sort of thing. A lot of those folks are math majors, computer science majors, that sort of engineers. So there's kind of a broad complement. So within the data science world, there's biostatistics and sort of data science. And then within the, the, the school of population health sciences, that's going to be more parallel to the, what we think about traditional sort of masters in public health with a little bit different emphasis and also um, a, a greater sort of awareness of, you know, sort of population-based interventions. So you've been on six months, roughly. Yes, sir. Where do you see the school going? You know, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I think I, I see us growing the things that we already have. We have a pretty strong footprint in uh, health, wellness, nutrition, physiology. We have a strong footprint in HIV prevention. I see us getting um, very aggressively into cancer health disparities, which is huge. Um, expanding our footprint through our Merle Evers Williams Institute for Elimination Health Disparities, which is a which is basically a community facing organization that addresses uh, food insecurity, um, other social determinants health issues that keep individuals and communities from thriving. Um, but also see us taking on sort of public health leadership roles around things like like syphilis, right, where we can be partners with the Department of Health with um, physicians because we are the training ground for healthcare providers in Mississippi along with William Carey. And um, we uh, can can also uh, bring our, our tools that we have available like our data science capabilities and our professionals to, to augment the work that other folks are doing. Well, that's fantastic. It, it's great getting you both on, both of you there working to make a difference, which is really fantastic, both in education, research, clinically, and in the community, which is really the most important piece in my mind. So I want to thank you both, Thomas and Melissa, for coming on. It's been, really been a pleasure. Thank you, Fred. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Dobbs, Dean of the John D. Bauer School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and Dr. Melissa Stevens, Associate Dean of Graduate Medical Education and Population Health and Professor of Clinical Sciences at the William Carey University College of Osteopathic Medicine for their generous insights today. To learn more about the John D. Bauer School of Population Health, go to www.umc.edu forward slash SOPH. And do follow on Twitter via at Bauer SOPH and TCB Public Health, respectively. And finally, if you are enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice, share with your colleagues and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays, 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you, Left Coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now.
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.